Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so glad that you are here today. Now, we're going to first receive the tithes and offerings before jumping into today's message. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. There's something I want to share with you, very unusual in verse 16. But let's begin in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And he goes on to say how he will open the windows of heaven over our lives and pour out. Now, verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. My friends, um, here in America, when you drive a vehicle, you have to have a license, registration, and insurance. And the insurance is just in case there's an accident, perhaps on your fault or perhaps on, uh, uh, on behalf of somebody else who maybe didn't see you and had a little fender bender. But you want to have your insurance policy in place. And that, in a sense, is one of the great blessings of tithing, is that when you honor God with the tithe, 10% of your income, 10% of your increase, which belongs to God, then there is the heavenly insurance policy that is issued to you and you have it. Praise God. And the Lord says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Now, if you're not a tither, then that benefit, that insurance policy has not been applied to you. And it says, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Praise the Lord. You know, this past week, I had a lot of phone calls from people that are not necessarily online church members, not necessarily even uh, partners, but they would call and they are uh, in a pickle in a sense where there is uh, either some form of devouring, whether it's financial, whether it's their health or something where the enemy is, uh, has made a breach into their life. And uh, you know what? As I begin to ask questions, it doesn't take long to realize there's no insurance policy here. And you can, go to, you can go to heaven as a Christian and never give God one penny. But if you want the insurance policy and you want God to rebuke those things that would devour your life and those things that would try to turn you into a piece of Swiss cheese where there's holes all in your life, I tell you what, you really need to be a devourer. So what we want to do is we want to now follow verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Now, let's keep in mind here the element of fearing the Lord, which is to reverence, have a deep respect, and to worship the Lord. It's also mentioned in the same context of giving God the tithe. Pastor Stephen, I fear the Lord. Do you tithe? Uh, no. Well, then technically, scripturally, you don't fear the Lord. 
I'm not making this up. This is right here in the Bible in the same context. Yes, Pastor Stephen, we should fear the Lord. Well, that's, it's saying that if you fear the Lord, you'll tithe. Mm-mm. So if you fear the Lord, you, uh, you tithe. And if you don't tithe, uh, you're left out of something that I would like to see you get into. And all of the angels would really like to see you get into. And it's mentioned next. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And uh, they spoke to one another. Hey, are you, do you fear the Lord? Yes. Are, are you tithing like God said to? Yes, I am too. Woo, oh good, we're all on the same page. We love God. We fear God. We honor God with the tithe. We give offerings as the Holy Spirit leads. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Okay, so if you want to get into the book of remembrance, which is for those who fear God, those who actually honor God with their tithes, mm-mm. well, that's how you get into that book, and who meditate on his name. All right. Well, Pastor Steve and I, I meditate on God's name, but I don't tithe. Oh, do you meditate on Jehovah Jireh? which is one of the eight compound names of God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will see to it that your every need is met. Oh, yes, Pastor Stephen, I love that. That was when God revealed his name to Abraham on Mount Moriah. And uh, they turned around and there was the ram with his horns caught in the thicket. Oh, yes. So we meditate on the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, as revealed to who? Abraham, who was a what? Who was a tither. Mm. How can you meditate on God's name and not be a tither? Mm. How can you say, I want to be in the book of remembrance, but yet you don't tithe, which is a sign that you reverence, fear, respect, and honor God's name? How can you say that you celebrate the name of God, and yet that name was revealed to Abraham, who was a tither? Mm, Wow, praise the Lord. Now, let me say this. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't teach tithing, and I'm sure you've noticed this. I don't teach tithing as a church doctrine. (laughs) I do believe there's plenty of doctrinal proof in the Bible for it, but I know even with that, there are those in the the body of Christ, they're, they're not going to do it. They're, they're, they're never going to take the step of faith and tithe. So I don't teach tithing as a church doctrine. Rather, I teach it as a covenant of the kingdom that carries you into financial prosperity. So if you want in on the covenant, that, that's up to you. Praise the Lord. Tithing is a kingdom mystery that establishes safety, protection, a supernatural insurance policy over your life, and financial increase. That's a whole lot. Who who wouldn't want to do that and get their name in the book of remembrance at the same time? Mm -mm. So tithing is a kingdom mystery. What does that mean? Kingdom mysteries are things that exist as reality in the spirit realm. They are spiritual laws that are so strong, they override natural laws. Now, these kingdom laws, these kingdom mysteries, if you operate them and work 
them, they will merge from out of that spirit dimension and begin to work in the natural world in which you live. And the covenant of God is stronger than economic recession. It's stronger than the reverberations of war and how that affects economies. It's stronger than any of that. And actually it's so strong it can lift you up while other stuff goes downhill. Woo, praise the Lord. Mm -mm. I do know that one of the great ministries in the earth, its founder built the world headquarters during World War II. When there was a metal shortage, when there was a steel shortage, when there were all kinds of rations and restrictions, that's actually when they built their world headquarters. And that particular denomination still every year has their annual convocation in that gigantic structure that was built against all possible odds. Why? He was a covenant man and he was a tither and his heart was after God. Praise the Lord. So tithing is a kingdom mystery that establishes safety, protection, and financial increase over your life. So I simply place that into your hands. Many of you already are tithers and you're enjoying those covenant benefits. But others, you think it's something that God uh, makes you do as like a doctrine that you have to like somehow be forced to do. No, it's a covenant choice. You can either come in on the covenant or you could, um, you could hold your own row. You could go at, at your own and maybe you're doing pretty good, but it's a pretty wild world out there and things are pretty shaky. Praise God. So I would rather have a financial covenant with God. I would rather drive my car with insurance than head down the road thinking, I sure hope nothing happens. I'm sure nothing will. But yet stuff happens every day all over the highways of the worlds with accidents and this and that and the other, which is why you have insurance. Praise the Lord. So step into it. Step into it. Praise God. It is a covenant of the kingdom that carries you in the financial prosperity. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, for years I knew that prosperity was God's plan for his people. But it was years after coming into that revelation that I actually discovered there's laws and principles that you must follow. In other words, it's not automatic just because you love Jesus, maybe sing in the choir and maybe shout hallelujah louder than anybody else in the church. No, there are things that you must do. You must gauge, you must engage God on the platform of the financial covenant, which has terms and conditions to it. Hallelujah. Amen. So tithing takes you into it. Now, Father, bless your people as they honor you with the tithe, which you said in your word rightfully belongs to you. As they give you the tithe, as they honor you with it, I thank you for the insurance policy over their lives. And I thank you that in the wicked world in which gross darkness is beginning to cover the earth, I thank you, Father God, that now your glory is going to begin to really shine upon the church, really shine upon the tithers, and that they'll also be in that book of remembrance. Father, bless your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Now, for those of you that prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the zip code here, 28654. Now, if you prefer to bring 
your tithes, your offering in online. The convenience of this is that you can do it from anywhere in the world through the internet. Please go to our ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There on the homepage, look up, there's a header. It says give online and you can click that. It brings you to the giving page with a drop down menu. You'll see the area for the tithe. You'll see other areas that we have other projects that you could give into uh, as the spirit leads you. But we thank God that we can honor God with the tithe that belongs to him. Amen. You can do so online right now, anytime, 24, seven day or night. Father, I thank you that as the tithes and offerings are coming in, I thank you. They'll be found in the book of remembrance in Jesus name. Amen. Woo. Praise God. Nothing better than walking in obedience. Hallelujah. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace and joy are a consequence, first of all, of righteousness, doing the right thing. Woo, living right. Praise God. Now, please take your Bibles and meet me over today in Mark chapter 7. I want to talk about being seated, not defeated, not depleted, uh, not all gassed out, tanked out. No, but seated in the right place. Praise God. We are today in Mark chapter seven. And again, I'm so glad that you are here today. Let me say thank you to also to so many of you that have sown into the ministry to support the Galani brigade, uh, the uh, division of the IDF. That is, uh, the, uh, the battle troops that go into battle for the Israel defense force. They, out of all of the different brigades, they suffered the heaviest casualties and the, the brigade that we support 120 soldiers, uh, 117 men and three women out of all of the uh, IDF, they suffered worse than any. And uh, when the terrorist attacked and that's why Benjamin Netanyahu just went to the hospital, just went to their troops to visit them, to encourage them. And those of you that have sown into that, Watch for the next email. It will be coming out this week, and I've got some really neat pictures and some amazing things that have been done with your giving. And let me say this also, and we give all, God all the glory. While we as a body of believers around the world are responding uh, in love and compassion to Israel and to the IDF, we have been able to move so quick that we have beat most of the big organizations, Christian organizations, uh, some of the ones that come in with the millions, uh, some of the things they're going to do, we've already been doing it. And we've got there when they desperately, desperately needed it. I'll share more about that in the newsletter going out this week. If you haven't signed up for it, uh, homepage of stephenbrooks.org, you'll see the little sign up. It says, um, uh, enter your email address in here and submit. And that way you can get on the uh, newsletter that comes out. Glory to God. And I'll tell you more about it. But it's been amazing. Thank you so much for your giving. Some of the stuff is almost, uh, it's like almost unbelievable what was needed. And uh, you, you wouldn't think so, but it was. Uh, and it would take me a little while to describe it. But I, all I can say is thank you. We have sent them thousands of dollars thousands upon thousands of dollars God has poured into this ministry and we put it all over there. And it is quite remarkable that we were like uh, privileged to be not only boots on the ground, like first boots on the ground. <laughs> 
And the other, the other big ministries we thank God for them. It takes them a little more time to mobilize and then they'll come in and do some amazing things too. But I tell you, there was desperate help needed up front. And because of you, we were there. Amen. And that will be recorded for you to God's glory. You'll see that. Amen. Glory to God. There'll, there'll come a time you'll be in heaven and you'll see it. You'll see that your, your rapid giving made a difference. And I would encourage you to still do so because there's some other things we can do in a very, very unique, unique way. Also, let me say it's not normal to be able to go straight onto a military base and start helping that that's not normal. There's all kinds of protocol and chains of command. We have though that access. We have that access. The one person that God has put in our lives, retired IDF special ops soldier veteran, and he can go right in there and take the provision, take the things that he's buying with the provision and uh, just and document it, inventory it and boom, 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 boom. Just go to work. It's incredible. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Did you ever think we would have such a close link to Israel? Some of you have been to Israel with me, but some of you, although you haven't been there personally, in a sense, you are going through your, your giving to help those that are laying wounded in hospital beds, to help those that are getting ready to go in the battle, even this very week. Woo, praise the Lord. Very, very exciting times that we're in, and it's a privilege it's a privilege to be intertwined with God's people, Israel, that God has a covenant with them, a blessing, and we owe them a huge debt. They gave us our Messiah, praise the Lord. They gave us the Old Testament scriptures as we know it, praise God. And the 40 men that wrote the 66 books in the Bible, they're all Jewish men. So we give God praise and we thank God for the privilege of being able to love on them during this great time of testing. Now, Mark chapter 7, did you get there? Amen. I'm kind of talking and still going, but Mark chapter 7, let's jump into today's message with prayer. Father, as we study your word, we ask that the spirit of wisdom and uh, revelation would flow. Help us to see who we are and then help us to understand because of that where we are in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Verse 24. From there, he, Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is already really very, very unusual. Here's Jesus going outside of the, at that time, the modern day boundaries of, uh, you know, what they would know as the land of Israel. And he's leaving that, going way up north along the seacoast. This is really kind of like a... Uh, a very, very different thing. What is the context? Well, the context is that he has really just hammered the Pharisees. I mean, he unloaded on them publicly and exposed them in such a transparent way that everybody understand that these religious leaders are complete hypocrites. Well, Pastor Stephen, he really let them have it, didn't he? Oh, he did. And now they're angry. Now they're, they are so mad. What's a good thing to do? Let's kind of get out of the area for a little bit. Because <laughs> they would like, Jesus is like, you know, they would like to end my ministry prematurely. Uh, they would like to just, you know, find a way to do away with me. So there is a wisdom uh, of 
knowing your enemy, if you have an enemy there, while you do believe in protection and you walk with God and God will protect you, that doesn't mean that you want to be naive. You need to be aware of that. You know, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist church, although he, he told all of the leaders, look, when I die, don't, don't turn this into a denomination. The moment that, the moment he died, they did. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, the Methodist organization, which Methodist simply means a method of doing things. Wesley had his way very effective, but uh, Wesley was a great man of God and he shook Europe and he shook America and he was only five feet, three inches tall. He had death threats all the time. He had hit men all the time that wanted to take him out. But yet that little guy that was five, three and only weighed 120 pounds was invincible. Nobody could ever touch him. Nobody could ever hurt him. When crowds uh, sometimes had bad reactions against him, yet God would deliver him over and over and over. But that doesn't mean that you would take advantage of that protection and just, uh, you know, kind of, when you need to leave, you need to leave. Okay. Give, give things a little break, give things a little space. So it says he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So things were hot because, uh, what he had done was public. And, uh, uh, let me just give you an example of what he told them. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites and has written, uh, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he really laid into them uh, just a few verses earlier. So he takes now, maybe we could call it a mini vacation. Uh, as Matthew in his account describes this, uh, Jesus does not want to be known when he goes into this area. It does appear that he was wanting to just rest and uh, for he and his disciples to take a little break. So he goes to Tyre and Sidon. Now this is very interesting. Tyre and Sidon are located today in what is known as the modern day nation of Lebanon. When you're in Israel, if you were on the Mediterranean, uh, you would have like Tel Aviv. That's where you land at when you come into Israel. Then you go up the seacoast, and then you would have Netanya, and then you keep going, you would have Haifa, and then you keep going north, and you eventually hit that Lebanon border. Now, over towards the, uh, the east, you would have the border of Syria up north. So you've got those two nations on top of Israel. You have Lebanon, and you have Syria. But as you go up the seacoast, you are to run into to the border of Lebanon as you go north and you would come to Tyre, which is only like 12 miles past the modern day Israeli Lebanon border. And then once you would get to Tyre, keep going about another 20 miles north and then you would be in Sidon. So he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. By the way, both of these are very well-known cities in ancient time, even before the Lord ever came, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, they were famous as uh, incredible seaports, and they were very, very well-known. By the way, there's something I think we should be aware of, is that although uh, that area was known in the Lord's time as Phoenicia, sometimes still called Canaan. Actually, Matthew in his gospel calls uh, this the area of Canaan. But I think it's interesting to realize that that land also was land that was given to the children of Israel to the tribe of Asher, and they never possessed their inheritance. I do, there, I do really believe there can be consequences 
uh, of not stepping into what God has given us that we're supposed to possess. Sometimes those consequences can even trickle down, perhaps even over generations. Take a look at this very quickly. It's worth our time to look at this in Joshua chapter 18 and look at verse three. Let me grab a drink of a hot tea real quick. Verse three, then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Now verse six, you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Verse eight. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. Little side note, if you ever buy land, not necessarily like perhaps a piece of land in a subdivision that's very easy to map out. But if you ever buy raw land, maybe 15 acres, 20 acres, or even three or four acres, and uh, you're buying that land for the first time, you need to get a survey on it. Every piece of property that this ministry has ever bought, once we take ownership of it, we always get a new survey. Because when you have the land surveyed by a professional survey company, by the way, it's not that much, maybe $700, maybe a thousand. If you have a large tract, maybe a little bit more, but you should get it surveyed because when you have your sur property surveyed, you know where all the corners are at. Plus they'll flag it for you. So you can actually see whose tree is on whose side of that property. And you might want to know that because after all, um, let's say you have a walnut tree wild walnut trees that grow in the South, like North Carolina, the Carolinas, they can sell as much as for one tree for $20,000. Okay. Because, uh, people that make guns, they want, they want that gun stock to be made out of uh, polished walnut and they'll prices go astronomical real quick. But if you've got a walnut tree and you can't tell whose property is it on. <laughs> what do you do? You need to have it surveyed. You need to know what's yours and that's what Joshua said, walk throughout the land and survey it. And that way we know where all the property boundaries are at. So if you have ever purchased land, maybe there's an old survey that was done 40 or 50 years ago, but they can get it so accurate today. They can get it to a dime and they'll tell you exactly where the rebar is at in the ground. And if there's not any, they'll put new ones there. So if you own land or if you're going to buy some, I know this is uh, pertinent to some of you always get a survey. And if you're buying raw land, make sure in the contract you have the water rights, the mineral rights, any gas or oil rights. That's all yours. Include it when you buy it. Praise God. In other words, read the fine print. But some of you make sure you get your survey. Praise God. Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. By the way, that's what they do today. That survey is actually uploaded, put into GIS mapping, which all counties have. And you can actually not only see the survey, you can read, you can read the points and the measurements. 
Praise God. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now Joshua 19 verse 24. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families. Well, Pastor Stephen, what did the tribe of Asher get? And their territory included, verse 28, Ebron, Rehob, Hammon, and Cana, as far as greater Sidon. Okay, so they got Sidon, and the border turned to Ramah and to the fortified city of Tyre. Oh my goodness, they got Tyre? Yes, they did. Well, let me just say this for a moment. Anybody that does uh, studies ancient history, and I, I love history. I love two parts. I love medieval medieval history, and I love ancient history. But anytime you start getting into ancient history, probably one of the most amazing battles uh, of all time was the battle that was fought there at Tyre in the year of 332 BC. So let me talk about this just for a moment, because this would have been hundreds of years before Jesus, you know, was born there in Bethlehem and, you know, lived in Israel but everybody knew about that famous seaport in Tyre, and everybody knew about what had happened. So you had, you had perhaps what some call the world's greatest military leader of all time. You had Alexander the Great. So he was Macedonian. So he was from North Greece. And so as a Macedonian, starting off in Greece, he begins to conquer all the way from Macedonia, all the way around that Syrian arc, and then coming down the Mediterranean, he's just conquering one uh, port city after another, but Tyre thought they were pretty strong and they were, and they thought we could hold out because Tyre was an Island and they were a half mile off of the shore. And so Alexander the great, he wanted to worship his God, Hercules. And there was a temple of Hercules there uh, in the main temple on Tyre. And so he sends his delegates and says, Hey, uh, I want to come worship there worship because actually Alexander the great believed he was a son of Hercules. So he said, I want to go there and worship. And they, they said to his, uh, his envoy, they said, uh, no, uh, we'll let you worship. We have another temple on land that's just as good, but you can't come here because that would be a sign that you're really the king. And they said, so you can't come here. And so when Alexander the Great heard that, he got so angry. But, but he tried to cool off. And after he cooled off for about a day or two, he said, you know what? I'm going to send another uh, delegation, another envoy back out there and say, uh, I really do want to worship there. And let's talk about some terms of surrender. And so the leaders of Tyre thought, you know what? We can't show weakness. So they took the delegation and took, up, took them up on the city wall and killed them and threw them off of the wall into the water. <laughs> Okay, so Alexander the Great, he about blew a gasket on that. He said, all right, I'm going to completely destroy all of you, and I'm going to join that island to the, uh, to the mainland. And everybody thought, what does he mean? Okay, so this is what he did. Let me put a picture up on the uh, screen right now. I want to show you what actually took place. By the way, Jesus would have known this. All of the disciples would have known this. This was a world-famous event. You're looking at the island of 
Tyre. And you'll see over to the side on the mainland what was called Old Tyre. That was the old city. So the island of Tyre is where all the aristocrats lived at. Not aristocrats, aristocrats, excuse me. <laughs> and so that's where the ultra, ultra wealthy lived. And it was like an impregnable fortress. They had plenty of provisions. They had fresh water there. They had a very, very powerful navy to defend themselves. And they had actually fought off some very formidable opponents over the years. And they thought nobody can ever conquer us, not even Alexander. So Alexander began to do something that surprised everybody. He realized that there was a natural land bridge underneath the water, only about five or six feet deep. There was like a sandbank, and it ran almost all the way out to that island. So he tore down completely the old city and he took all of the rubble and all of the stones and all of the timber and started putting it into the water and building a road out there. It would be like what we would call as a modern day jetty or modern day causeway. And he starts building it further and further out there. And suddenly the citizens of Tyre realized, uh Oh, we never saw this coming. And so there was a tremendous battle that began to ensue. So let me put up a picture as Alexander the great was building this causeway out there. He put two huge ramparts uh, towards the end and that way his guys could shoot arrows. They could also launch their catapults from the top of that. But there at Tyre, all of the soldiers, they would shoot flaming arrows towards the uh, canopy to try to catch it on fire of the two towers. And uh, there was just constant battle. One time, even the Tyre uh, soldiers took a ship that had been used previously to haul horses in and they loaded it with sulfur and very uh, combustible type materials like straw. And they put other things in there that would catch on fire, fire very easy. And they heavy weighted it on the back so that the ship was tilted up and they pulled that ship towards those two huge ramparts and they lit the ship on fire. And then the ship ran up on the ground and caught those towers on fire. And a lot of people uh, uh, that were Alexander's soldiers got killed and the whole thing got burned down. That made Alexander even angrier. So he rebuilt all the towers and put some uh, buffers that would help deflect flaming arrows and things like that. This was a vicious battle. It went on for seven months. There was a siege. And uh, here's another picture that shows you that island. It was so beautiful. This is where all the ultra rich lived at. And uh, you can see the big sea ships that Alexander the Great, he had uh, commandeered. And those ships would fire uh, very powerful like crossbow type uh, spears at them. And uh, a lot of catapults and a really a lot of high tech armory going on back then in Tyre. They had some very smart military men, some very smart, what we would call scientists, where they would take like rock and sand and heat it to a burning, burning heat where it would even glow. And they poured that at times, almost like a dust powder on the soldiers of Alexander the Great. And uh, it really caused a lot of agony and pain. It would get in between their armor and burn them and they'd have to run and jump into the water. So this went on for seven months before finally Alexander the Great found the weak spot, which was on the southern wall. They broke through, and the slaughter was ferocious. They killed 
uh, 7,000 of the men of Tyre, butchered them threw, them, threw them over the wall, threw them into the water. They took 2,000 more men, and they crucified them. By the way, this was also the early concept of crucifixion. They crucified them on the beachfront. And, uh, boy, you, after that, everybody was ready to surrender to Alexander. Everybody was like, hey, come on, come on in. <laughs> There's no stopping you. <laughs> and, of course, of course, as many of you know in history, he made a very famous stop in Jerusalem. And the high priest actually appeared to Alexander the Great in a dream. And so uh, what looked like was going to be a slaughter of Jerusalem actually was Alexander coming in and bowing before the high priest of Jerusalem and acknowledging his God as the only true God. Woo, very fascinating. All right, back we go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. So Jesus goes to that region of Phoenicia. By the way, that's also where Jezebel came from. Her father was a king of Phoenicia, and she, through a, you know, international uh, uh, marriage alliance, married King Ahab. That was a really bad move. Okay, so Jesus is there now in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. He needs a break. He's human. He's God, but he's just as much man as he is God. So in that physical body, he needs some rest, and he needs just to eat and get restrengthened. But he cannot be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit... Now, Matthew in his gospel says that this daughter was severely demonized. Well, it says she heard about him. Stop. She heard about Jesus. Now, ask yourself, how does faith come? Because it still comes the same way today as it came back then. How does faith come? It comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing God's word. Faith comes by hearing God talk or by others who are talking about the great things that God has done. What does it do? It builds faith. What do you think she heard? She probably heard, oh my goodness, this is the man. This is the man that many say is the Messiah. Matter of fact, when she addresses him in Matthew's gospel, she actually calls him son of David. What is that? That is a messianic title. That was what the rabbis said that when the Messiah shows up, he will be the son of David. He will be identified as being the son of David. She actually calls him son of David. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. So she had faith. How does she get it? The same way that we have to get it. You have to hear it. You have to get that living word that's alive to you, that's speaking to you, and meditate on that. Think about that. And before you know it, you're, the next thing you know is that you're believing that God can do it for you too. Praise God. So she heard about him. And she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. Now, let me stop there just for a moment. That doesn't mean that she was from the area of Europe where Greece was at. The word Greek used in Scripture so often refers to non-Jewish people. That's simply what it means. It means those that are non-Jew. Uh, non it's the nations of the world. Now, uh, 
there are times in the New Testament where it is talking about those who would come from uh, Greece or those that would be Greek. But here in this context, it's speaking of her as a Gentile. So she's a Gentile woman and she is in Gentile territory, total pagan Phoenician territory. And it says that she was a Syro-Phoenician by birth. So the area of Phoenicia, and she was Syrian that we find out. How about that? And she kept asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. So we do see persistency here. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Nowhere here is Jesus calling her a dog. Many theologians actually believe that this was a parable. Don't throw the children's bread to the, to the little puppies. That's what he's saying. It's like a parable type statement. I can't throw uh, what belongs to them over to you. Okay, no matter how cute you are and how sweet and adorable you are, I can't do that because it belongs to them. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table, the little puppies under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. My friends, what you say is so important. Your words can put you over. Your words can put you under. But Jesus said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Now, Matthew's gospels, uh, they give the other statements that Jesus made along with what we see here. Mark recording. Jesus said, woman, great is your faith. <laughs> great is your faith. Go your way. And so it says that the demon left that hour. And Jesus said, the demon has gone out. And I tell you, it's, it was already packing up, leaving every trace of it. Not only the dirty devil, but every trace of all of his uh, filthiness, that's all going out as well. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. So there's a couple of things that we see here that are very, very amazing. Praise the Lord. Number one, we have to give this Gentile woman credit for the wisdom that she could tell there's a difference in this man. What is one of the de definitions of wisdom? It's the ability to recognize difference. Number one, the difference between good and evil. Okay. The difference between what God says is right and what God said is wrong. That's the primary reason for wisdom, the discern between good and evil, but also discern between people. Can't you tell that there is something that he has that can fix your problem? It would be like, let's say you had a car and you, uh, the car broke down and you can tell that the part that uh, broke uh, that's not working is maybe the generator. And you're thinking, oh, I, I sure could use some help. And then a person pulls up next to you uh, who's a mechanic and has written on his uh, car uh, or on his work van a spare or, or newly made uh, generator parts or something like that. You'd be like, that, that's just the guy that I need. So wisdom is the ability to discern the difference in people. And she knew he's different. Now, also, wisdom is the ability to discern the difference in the moment. You'll have moments where you will realize, I need to do this now. This may never, ever happen again. Uh, my wife and I had, we had a moment about, this was about, oh, 
how long, almost 20 years now, probably about 19 years where we found ourselves in the city. We ministered there, but I sensed in my heart that I'll, I'll never be back in this city. It's not, it's not crisscrossing with God's trajectory or plan for my life. But while we were there, something very special happened. It was an open door and I knew take it because you'll never have another moment to do this. And I took that moment and I was taken to a very special place. And there I saw a beautiful angel of the Lord at this place. And I knew that anybody that goes to that place, if you're sensitive, you can even discern that that angel is there. Praise God. I don't tell all of my secrets on YouTube. Amen. Everybody starts showing up at these places. <laughs> I do tell them if I get happy and I start talking in a meal, a lot of this all comes out. Praise God. But, but praise the Lord. I, I just knew in my heart, you'll never be here again. Go for it. And I did. And there were several factors involved. Number one, I didn't know where this place was at. Number two, somebody told me that it, it closes at this time and it's not over after, after that. And I've never been back there since. And I don't believe I ever will, but I had my moment. I got what God wanted to get over to me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So you have to recognize the difference in a moment. And she did, and she wouldn't give up. Why? Because when he leaves, it's over with now today, we have the Holy Spirit, and God can do a miracle anywhere, any place. But back then, hey, it's where he's at. It's where it's happening. And if he's not there, it ain't happening. And she knew that. So you want to recognize uh, the difference in the moment, the difference uh, uh, in the opportunity where perhaps you turn around and there's a great man of God standing in line there with you. Isn't that interesting, Pastor Stephen? Looks like he eats food just like I do. Yeah, he sure does. Why don't you buy his lunch? Well, what would I do that for? We should have a talk sometime. <laughs> it's called honor. And if you sow into a prophet, if you sow into an apostle, if you sow into a person and show respect and love, you touch that anointing and it comes back, comes back upon you in the form of a blessing. Woo. Glory to God. Mm. Pastor Stephen, why would I get a, why would I give a prophet a, a drink of cold water when I need a drink myself? Because you'll get a prophet's reward. It's not every day stuff like that happens. So if it does happen, uh, discern the difference in the moment. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I bumped into a general in the faith a few months back. Just bumped him to me at a, at a uh, in a hotel uh, at the elevator, and he and I were both getting into the elevator at the same time. What did I do? I kind of turned around, kind of low profile, and pulled out all of the cash I personally had, my personal money in my wallet, and gave it to him. I said, "I want to sow this into your life. Your ministry has been a blessing to me over the years." Now he's much older than me, but I said, "I really appreciate your ministry." He said, "Thank you," and we talked. Had a sweet time. What is that? Connecting with that anointing, touching that anointing of greatness. Don't act like there's not greatness. I've actually bumped into it before. I bumped into it one time and I said, God, what, what was that? The Lord said, that's greatness. You touched what greatness is. Not everybody's normal. We are all normal in the sense that yes, we eat, we put our clothes on, we get dressed, we, we breathe air and we live life, but don't think for a moment that everybody is mediocre, not on your life. There is a difference in people and you need to be able to recognize that 
it can open a very special door. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, let us also say that faith can bring forth your desire. She had not just normal faith. She had a great faith, and she got what she wanted. But I think there's something we need to really talk about that this today because many people have taken this beautiful story and they've used it in a wrong context to say that, yes, we need to be like this woman and just beg God, even grovel if we need to, and just beg because we're just dogs. And maybe if God gives in, maybe we can get a crumb and finally maybe get what we want. But my friends, while some Christians and it's more than just some, it's, it's it, quite a bit, honestly. They see themselves actually beneath the table, eating crumbs, groveling on the floor, when the biblical New Testament correct theology and correct truth is that we are supposed to be sitting at the table, not eating crumbs, but eating the very best that Jesus has made available for us through the awful price that he paid there at the cross. He didn't pay that price so that we can be beggars and be on the outside. Now, I, I understand that Jesus was on a mission. He was on a, an assignment, and he didn't want to get distracted from that. But strong faith still pulled that anointing where that woman got her miracle. And I understand that that woman was a Gentile. So covenantly, she's on the outside. She has no covenant rights. But she still got it. She got her miracle because of her strong faith. But if this woman could express great faith to receive crumbs by begging beneath the table, how much more can you and I receive as we sit at the king's table? Mm. I'm telling you, the Lord by the Spirit was really, really dealing with me concerning this. Praise God. God, my friends, does not view you as an outsider. There's three categories of people on the earth. You have the Jew, you have the Gentile, and you have the church. Paul mentioned that. The Jew, the church, and the Gentile. As far as I'm concerned, I'm in the church. And my entire identity now is hidden in Christ. Woo! Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So God does not view you as an outsider, and God does not view you as a beggar. Praise the Lord. Men, let me say this, that God views you as a son in his kingdom. Glory to God. Ladies, you need to understand that God, your heavenly father, views you as a daughter, as a princess in his kingdom kingdom. Praise the Lord. Now, some of you, you don't understand your true identity and you don't expect to partake of God's best at the table because of bitter life experiences. Maybe perhaps there have been wounds in your soul and those wounds were inflicted by painful words Words such as, you're never amount to anything good. My friends, the truth is, is that of past wounds, past hurts, maybe of divorce, maybe a traumatic experience, maybe something happened where the enemy really hit you really hard, 
and you thought that maybe you thought, well, where, where was God or this or that or the other? But my friends, I'm here to tell you that God loves you and that God can reveal who you are in him so strongly that like God laughs at the devil, you can actually laugh over those things too. Woo. Praise God. And God wants to touch you. Some of you, he wants to touch you right now and remove any elements of victimhood in you where you feel that you were victimized and the enemy's power is much greater than God's and the, the forces of evil are look so strong. And yet as a believer, you feel so weak uh, as if the devil could just take the whole church out at any moment. God wants to alter that, that view by healing you right now. And pulling out any darts of abuse, any darts of perhaps sexual defilement that were done to you. Receive the healing anointing now so that you can laugh again and triumph over your enemies in Christ. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There's nothing but victory for the believer. Praise God. No sad moaning and begonings. Yes, we can go through things that are challenging and tough, but God's got victory on the table for you and he wants you to sit and eat. Praise God with the enemies that Jesus defeated at Calvary far beneath your feet. Let him heal you right now. Maybe something awful was done to you. Maybe your head was taken and slammed against the wall. Maybe you were a woman and you were beaten by a man. And maybe you view men now with disdain, even a deep distrust. But God can bring healing into you right now because Jesus, the only reason he would ever lift his hand to you would be to bless you and to love on you. Praise God. Come on. Let the healing come in so that you can take your place at the table. That's why some of you think you belong as best. And some of you view yourselves in po poverty clothes spiritually because you don't feel you're worthy to sit there. But I'm telling you today that God says you are because of the blood that was shed for you. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter what has happened in your past. The blood of Jesus is able to easily wash it all away. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Now, when you don't know who you are in Christ. You also will not know where you are in Christ, but let me show you where you're at. According to the new Testament, not according to a Gentile woman outside of the covenant, but let me show you where you're at in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, let's go to uh, verse four. Verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, if, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up. Not, not going to, raised, past tense. He's already done it. At, well, by the way, when did he do it? He did it, my friends, during his resurrection. Praise God. When he went up. There was nothing that could hold him down. And when he was raised up in the eye and in the mind of the father, you and I in a mystical spiritual way were raised up with him also in victory mm, mm, mm. and raised us up together and made us sit 
together where beneath the table no in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that's at the king's table and as you're sitting at the king's table with victory and health and joy and righteousness and peace and all of these things in prosperity that you can take of while you're there sitting at the table, you can look down at your feet and notice that the floor is transparent and you can look through the floor and see that way, way down below is the earth realm way, way down below is the realm where the uh, principalities and powers have their stronghold down there on the earth and where all of the problems of sin are in the earth and war and famine and awful things. But in Christ, you are seated far above that. Woo! Praise the Lord. So you need to know who you are. And when you know who you are, which is a son, a daughter of the almighty in his holy kingdom, then you also know where you are, not a victim, but an overcomer seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Glory, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. What is the purpose of Ephesians chapter two, verse six of that specific place? It is the place where you exercise your victory and your authority. And it is from that place you say, it will be different. My testimony will be different. All of my children will serve the Lord. Whether they're not serving, if they're not serving him right now, they're going to. My testimony will be different. I'm a covenant child. All of my children will serve the Lord. Pray that doesn't mean they have to be in the ministry or something like that, but they will be saved and serve God. And Praise God from that place you speak health and from that place you speak abundance and from that place you call it the way that you want your kingdom to be. Praise God as you exercise victory and authority from that place. It is very, very real. I had an encounter with the Lord where for three months, every single night, very, very late at night, uh, like one o'clock, two o'clock technically in the morning, the Lord would come and would lift me up in a vision because I would be awake praying. He would take me up into that Ephesians chapter two, verse six place. And it put me on a throne. It's a literal throne you sit on. And I was just flabbergasted at how busy the court area of heaven is. I was stunned at all of the activity, but these thrones are they're They're in a heavenly realm. They're in the kingdom, but don't think they aren't real. Don't, don't think they don't have substance. They absolutely do. I sat on that throne every night for three months straight and watched uh, things, uh, activity in the glorious kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. But that kingdom is over all. That kingdom is over all. And when you know that this is a place of victory, you will not settle for defeat. Praise God. And from this place is where you pray. You pray and you operate from a place of not trying to be victorious, but operating from a place you already have it because Jesus already has it. Mm -mm. Now, of course, the devil will try to pull you out of your reality of this. He does it by presenting to your mind memories of past sins. He'll try to pull up images, maybe something that you did, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or five minutes ago, although the blood of Jesus has washed it 
completely away and God has taken it and thrown it into the depths of the sea and he doesn't even remember it. Mm -mm. But the devil will try to present it to your mind and he wants you to see yourself not on a throne but somehow still on the floor. Uh, it's still like begging. But see my friends this is just the devil lying to you. Look, his greatest strength is deception. It's the greatest weapon he has in all of his artillery. It is the lie. It is deception. And that's all these things are. And his attacks include the full gamut of different types of emotions and feelings where you feel like you're not on the throne. Maybe you feel like, uh, uh, nothing's going on. Maybe you feel like so normal, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean you're still not in that place. So he will try to project images and past memories and perhaps different types of feelings. And let me just say to you, they're all lies. That's all they are. Praise the Lord. They're only designed to shift your mindset away from your true royal standing of being seated at the table. And that's all the enemy's trying to do. Why? He's terrified of who you really are because he knows in Christ he can't beat you anymore. He knows that in Christ nobody can take down Superman, and Jesus doesn't have any kryptonite problems with him. Woo! He don't have a kryptonite issue. He's the ultimate Superman. I had, I had the most incredible thing happened. I finished uh, seeking the Lord during a time of consecration just recently. And when I concluded that time, the Lord came to me the next night in the form of Superman. I'm talking muscles rippling, uh, phenomenal appearance. Now, he's Jesus. I, I know he's the Lord. He's not really Superman, but he can, he's very prophetic. He can make himself appear. And when I saw him, he's just like, I uh, just like, he's the ultimate. On all levels, he's the ultimate. And don't you think for a moment that the devil doesn't know it. The devil has no antidote for the Almighty. There's only one Almighty, God Almighty, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, oh, he's the ultimate Superman. And he can work in your life to a degree where there is such protection and strength that that strength in him is imposed into you. Woo! Woo! Praise the Lord. But you have to know that you belong at the table. Now, come on. Come on. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So, how you view yourself influences how you act. Okay? So, no groveling, no begging. You're not the Syrophoenician woman. Stop acting like that. You can follow her faith, but uh, positionally, you're in a much infinitely better place. You're saved. Your sins are washed away. Many of you are filled with the Spirit. Praise God. So take your seat at the table. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, I pray for your people that there be a investiture into their understanding that they really are royalty and they're not putting up with the enemy's stuff anymore mood swings or whatever they're not they're going to stay they're going to stay on that throne they're going to stay at the table regardless of emotions or whatever they're going to even laugh at that stuff because it's far beneath their feet and I thank you father god you're really moving in their lives thank you solidify it through meditation in Jesus name 
Amen. Praise God. If you don't know Jesus, the true Superman, with no kryptonite weakness, if you don't know him and you want to, give your life to him right now. He's God Almighty. You can worship him. You can put all of your eggs in his basket. He will never leave you, forsake you, or ever let you down. Praise God. If you don't know him, or if you did and you drifted away, come back. Let us all pray together right now. Say, Jesus, you are my Superman. Come into my life. Wash all of my sin away. Jesus, I give my heart completely to you. I acknowledge you as my Lord, Savior, God, and King. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. Thank you for saving me. Lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Woo! Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Glory. Lift your hands and just begin to praise the Lord. If you're not filled with the Spirit, open your mouth. Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, but you do not uh, speak in tongues and you're not filled with the Spirit, Open your mouth and begin to speak the utterance that the Spirit of God gives you, and Jesus will fill you right now. Open your mouth, begin to praise God. Just let it come out. Let healing flow. If you've ever had any type of trauma, let healing flow into your soul right now. Jesus, Superman, is reaching in and with his great strength is releasing healing into your soul. You're not a victim, you're an overcomer. Jesus removes the poison of the memory and he replaces it with an antidote where you're completely free. Even if you have memory, it doesn't bother you anymore. You know, the, you know God's giving you the victory. Glory, 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 glory. Some of you, the Lord is showing me there's a few. You are blessed and you have never surrendered your finances to the Lord. You love the Lord, but he is not your king in this area. And you have, you have held on to your money because you've had a fear of, uh, of losing money and then uh, suffering the hardships of lack. But you cannot live your life in fear. You must trust Jesus in every area. Come on. Let him be your Superman in this area. And the way up is through giving, not through hoarding, not through holding on. That is not the Jesus that, that uh, he wants you to know. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory. Release your faith and full trust of the Lord right now. Now, Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. There's a healing anointing flowing. Receive. Now, let us take Holy Communion at this time. Glory to God. I want you to grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. Glory. 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 Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We set it apart as being holy. We thank you that this is the body and the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you that the punishment that we deserve for our sins was all put on Jesus at Calvary. Every bit of molestation, every bit of drug usage and dirty needles, every bit of sexual perversion, every bit of profanity and blasphemy, every foul thing was put on Jesus. What should have sent us to hell was put on him and he has paid the penalty for our sins. So father, because we are in him, we have been saved by grace through faith. Now, father, as we receive the Lord's body, we receive everything at the table that we need full provision and we receive it joyfully. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Let us partake together of the Lord's body. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Any awful thing that the enemy would try to bring back to you, know that Jesus bore it on the cross. It was all put on the Lord. You're free, you're clean. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, its mighty cleansing power, and we thank you for protection. We thank you, Father God, that the enemy, the enemy cannot get through the blood canopy. Thank you, O God, we give you praise. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. O God, we give you praise. There's none like you. Lord Jesus, there's none like you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So you are the King of over us who are kings, and you are the Lord over us who are lords. So we acknowledge that you are the king of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. Let us now receive the blood. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Let this, let this mentality be in your mind. The greatest kings are those that serve and love their subjects. You've had a lot of bad kings throughout history who had a lot of wealth and maybe they had fame, but they did not treat their kingdom subjects well. They didn't even really care about them. So those that are the greatest leaders are those also that love and pour out to others. Glory to God. So let the kingdom be on your heart. Let the furtherance of God's beautiful kingdom be upon your heart and operate in that kingly, royal anointing. Praise God. Amen. Well, as I say goodbye, let me put the giving information one more time up on the screen. Praise the Lord. And thank you for helping us also to be a blessing to the Galani Brigade. They really need our love and our help. And it is a privilege to be able to stand and bless Israel during this time. Thank you so much. I'll see you back again real soon. And have a great week, Your Royal Highness. God bless you.